0: So it was hardly surprising today that we learned that the federal liberal government were going to announce some tough new gun laws. It seems to be a bit of a trend, big shooting, high profile, talk about gun legislation, it would come the new gun laws. So sure enough, there was prime minister Trudeau today flanked by his ministers, as well as a lot of, um, survivors or families of survivors of gun violence in this country to announce what they called tough new gun laws. Uh, this case, in this time around, a national freeze on the import, purchase, and selling of handguns. That's a central feature. Um, it would also take away gun licenses from people involved in acts of domestic violence or criminal harassment, such as stalking. And uh, there's more money to fight gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing criminal penalties, providing more tools to investigate firearm crimes and strengthening border measures. Here is the Prime Minister today. We're introducing legislation to implement. A national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. As I mentioned, of course, comes at a high. At a time of high emotion following the, the horrible, horrible shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and the other one in Buffalo earlier this month. Uh, so more debate here. The Liberals warned in their 2021 election platform that American-style gun violence is rising in Canada. And the Prime Minister alluded to that today. By saying necessarily that uh, we are in fact seeing more handguns. stats, can reported that violent crime involving involving firearms had increased from 2013 to 2019 after several years of decline, Um, and that uh, there was a 59% report said 59% of firearm-related violent crimes involved handguns in 2020 with higher rates in urban centers. Here's the prime minister again. We'll keep moving on. I'll let you know what Prime Minister Trudeau said. Essentially, he said, we're suffering from American-style gun violence and that this policy will help. But at the end of the day, again, the question always is, is this about politics or is this policy that will actually work? That's always the question when these announcements are made. So joining me now with more on that is Noah Schwartz. He's an assistant professor of political science at Concordia University who specializes in firearm policy. Thanks for your time, Noah. Well, thank you for having me, Ben. So this is um, a major announcement. Uh, what's been said and, and, and what, what really struck you about what was uh, proposed today?
1: Yes, there's been a number of measures that have been introduced today. Um, on the firearms file. Uh, so, for example, I think the biggest one that people are going to latch onto the most is going to be the freeze on handgun ownership uh, in Canada. Um, this is sort of unique amongst firearms policies. Um, I, I haven't heard of, of a country implementing a freeze on ownership before. Uh, this is fairly new. Um, but there's also more details uh, on the buyback scheme for the uh, assault-style weapons ban that the government introduced, uh, as well as a few other measures. Um, for example, the government uh, introduced red... Er, claims to be introducing red flag laws. This is sort of confusing since we've had red flag laws in Canada for about 30 years, um, but it's a few changes and kind of try to repackage it as something new, um, as well as new uh, new legislation on, on magazines. Um, so for example, 30 years ago, once again, uh, Canada banned high capacity magazines. Um, magazines that can be accepted by semi-automatic firearms are only allowed to hold up to five cartridges in Canada. Um, now, the way this is done now, because most of these magazines are imported from the United States, a much bigger gun market, is that they use metal rivets, um, so, uh, which can, you know, if you have a machine shop, if you have access to certain tools, they can be removed. Um, so you'll likely see new legislation on how these magazines can be uh, uh,
0: we know that this comes at a at yet again another sensitive time around the gun debate, specifically with what's happened in the U.S. recently. If you can cut through what was what is new policy here and what is politics, uh, do you think this was overall uh, a solid set of, of announcements today?
1: So I think this is a lot more politics than policy. If I'm being honest, um, it starts with the timing of the announcement. Um, you know, there was a tragedy in the United States recently. There's a lot of public frustration um, and, and a lot of public mourning and and public sadness about what's happened in the United States. Um, We know that the United States is a very big specter in the Canadian. It looms large over the Canadian gun debate. Um, And we often see Canadian policymakers kind of trying to play off of that um, on on both ends of the the spectrum. Um, I think this is very good politics for Justin Trudeau. Um, Most Canadians don't really understand the very, very stringent gun control laws that we have in place right now. Um, It's a very detail-oriented policy area, um, but also a very emotional one. Uh, so I do think it makes for good politics. The policy side, I'm not so convinced. Yeah, where would you see the policy side uh, falling short? Yeah, so for example, um, on, on the source of crime guns in Canada. Um, so a it, it freeze on handgun ownership, it's, it sounds off the cuff, uh, like something that would prevent violence. Um, but if we look at where handguns that are used in crimes are coming from in Canada, uh, it's largely the United States. Now, there's some holes in our data on this. Uh, We don't have a perfect understanding um, because obviously these are criminal markets. They don't answer surveys, (laughs) Um, but we know that uh, that, uh, by and large, the overwhelming majority of handguns being used in crime are coming from the United States, and that's because they're really easy to smuggle. They're very small. Um, If you're a police dog, they probably smell like machine parts. Um, so it's it's hard to detect them, um, and we see smugglers using a lot of really innovative techniques, um, hiding them in different parts of the car that aren't always searched, using drones to take them across the border. Um, so, so I think it, you know tackling the people who have already gone through the process to get a handgun license, which involves a course, it involves registration. In many provinces, it involves being members of a gun range, which could cost you up to 400 bucks a year. So these are people who have invested a lot of time and money into their hobby. Um, And they're probably not the source of most of the crime guns we're seeing ending up on crime scenes in Canada.
0: So in that case, how would a handgun ban... um affect crime rates in this country than if the majority of the guns that we're discussing aren't
1: in fact legally purchased yeah so this is part of the public misunderstanding on gun control gun control is really good at making it hard for for bad faith actors to get access to firearms that's why we don't see the sort of tragedies that we see in the united states as often here because it's harder for a disgruntled teenager to you know go into their parents closet and pull out a rifle right we have safe storage laws here that means you have to lock up your guns um it's not Gun control is never going to mean that criminals will. It will be impossible for criminals to get their their hands on guns. Um, it's become easier recently because there's a, such a proliferation of handguns in the United States. More and more states in the U.S. have concealed carry laws, which means more people are buying concealable handguns that are easier to smuggle. Um, so. I think what this is—the effect that this is going to have—is uh, it's just going to mean that that the criminal gangs that are responsible for the lion's share of the rising crime that we're seeing are just going to source their guns from can more, source more of their guns from across the border.
0: So, what other impacts could this ban then have? If it's if it's simply more um, more work on those who already legally own them, um, what will it have a positive impact at all?
1: I, I can't see. Uh, I think the the magazine alteration element of it. I think we could see some positive impact there. There was a lot of of good stuff about investing in security at the border. Although I think, you know, we we can catch a lot of the guns that are going to come across. We're never going to be able to seal the border. We share the world's largest undefended border with a country with the largest supply of civilian handguns. I think it's kind of a fiction that we can seal off the border. You think about how long drugs were, you know, how, how tightly controlled drugs are and they're still flowing across the border. If you can smuggle cocaine, you can smuggle a handgun. Um, I think what's going to work is going to be investing in the communities where gun violence is most prevalent. These are communities that are that are already suffering um, from high poverty rates, marginalization, um, and I think that putting the money that we're we're sort of wasting on these very visible, um, very flashy measures into these communities is going to pay a much higher dividend when it comes to preventing violence.
0: Um, tell me about the the buyback because that one's been been out there talked about a lot since the uh, the ban on assault rifles was, was announced. Uh, I don't know if I'm using the right terms for it, because it feels like it's been announced a few times. Um, but there is a buyback plan in place. H- how would that work? And is that money well spent?
1: Yeah, so uh, what's likely going to happen is that, that uh, the government right now, they announced they're consulting with the industry on sort of what is going to be a fair price. Um, it's likely going to cost several billion dollars to buy back these firearms. Um, once again, this is another, another example of, of, I think, the government pursuing style over substance. If you look at the list of the guns that were banned, for example, there are guns that are functionally equivalent. They use the exact same cartridge. They function in the exact same way that were not placed on the ban list. Right? Um, the guns that were placed on the ban-, ban list were generally guns that had been used in high profile crimes in Canada in the past, whereas sort of other semi-automatics capable of accepting magazines um, were not included in the ban. Um, so I- I'm a little bit confused about what the government thinks this ban is going to achieve.
0: I'm speaking with Noah Schwartz. He's an assistant professor of political science at Concordia University in Montreal. He specializes in firearms policy. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the new gun control legislation tabled by the federal liberals today that includes a national freeze on the importing, buying, and selling of handguns. Um, also says it will take away gun licenses from people involved in acts of domestic and violence and criminal harassment, such as stalking. Uh, the prime minister made that announcement today in Ottawa. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about um, some of those other rules that, that have been announced today as. Well, uh, overall, Noah so far saying that it is a lot of, as always, a lot of style, perhaps over true substance. We'll also look at what could be some of the real solutions here, because I think everyone uh, wants this to be a safer country. We want to see gun violence reduced, but we also want the policies to to work. Uh, We'll be back with that. With Noah Schwartz, he's an assistant professor of political science at Concordia University in Montreal, who specializes in firearms policy. Talking about uh, Ottawa's announcement today, the federal Liberal government's announcement uh, that it will include a national freeze on the importing, buying, and selling of handguns, also, a bill that would take away gun licenses from people involved in acts of domestic violence or criminal harassment, such as stalking. Uh, no, I want to ask you about that latter one, because that, again, you talked a bit earlier about red flag laws already being in place and then a reannouncement today of some sorts. What about these the domestic violence rules? Are those new? or those effective?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the, part of the screening process when someone goes to buy a gun in Canada um, is to look for, for domestic violence or, or evidence of domestic violence. The problem is it's kind of hard to ascertain, and the RCMP, Fire, the Canadian Firearms Centre, doesn't have a lot of resources to do the heavy vetting that they actually have the legal capacity to do, they're allowed to do more vetting than they actually end up doing in practice. So, for example, when you apply for a gun license in Canada, since, um, f- for the past 30 years, since the Akkad uh, Polytechnic tragedy, um, you, have to, uh, you have to have the sign-off of your, si- your spouse or your significant, uh, your significant other. Um, or if you've had a recent breakup, you have to have the sign-off of your, your ex-partner. Right, So there's measures in place to try to catch people who are are going to do this uh, in a bad way. Um, I think we'll have to see the devil is going to be in the details on this. I would love to see more resources investing in enforcing gun prohibitions against people who are involved in domestic abuse against people who are at risk of that. Um, But we're going to have to see that the devil will be in the details there. So Noah, where is the disconnect here? Because I think if
0: you polled a lot of people uh, on the streets of Vancouver or Toronto about handgun ownership, they might say that a handgun, a national handgun freeze, is, is a good idea. So where is the disconnect between a good idea and good policy here? Do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a, a really great question. Um, there's a lot of sort of public misunderstanding there, and, and this is reinforced by politicians um, often for uh, political to win political points um, that there are parallels that are drawn between Canada and the United States, right? We have an environment um, in the United States where there's a serious lack of gun regulation, right? And that leads obviously to higher crime rates, to more gun violence. Um, You have the inverse in Canada where handgun ownership is very, very heavily controlled and it's limited um, to people who want to practice sport shooting or collecting. It's very expensive uh, to become a handgun owner in Canada. It takes a lot of work. um, And then generally the system does a good job of making sure that people uh, who shouldn't have handguns um, aren't getting them through legal means, right? Um, but there's a limit to what the, what the the system can do. That's the unfortunate reality of it.
0: When you you've you've spoken to a lot of gun owners in this country uh, about about sort of the the reality of gun ownership here, uh, mm-hmm. how would you describe that to listeners who may not fully understand how it works in terms of of just the 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 onus on 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 them? And how do you think they're going to react to this latest to this these this latest legislation?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, let's say that you want to get involved in uh, target shooting with a pistol, which is an Olympic sport. We actually sent an Olympian, an Olympic athlete to the last Olympics um, to compete in pistol shooting. Uh, If you want to get involved with that, you have to go, uh, you have to take a class. Uh, So you have to take your regular firearms license class and then an additional restricted firearms license class. The waiting list for those classes generally going to be months long. Once you take the class, you apply for your license. Uh, There's a whole bunch of forms they have to fill out there. Um, And then you wait at least uh, generally another three months, sometimes a bit longer to get your license. Um, That's before you can even think about purchasing a firearm. Uh, When you go to the store to purchase a firearm, they contact the registrar of firearms. They contact the Canadian Firearms Centre and they issue you an authorization uh, to be able to have that gun. That can sometimes take weeks. uh, So you actually have to come back. You're not going to leave with your handgun that day. Once you get that, you're allowed to take that handgun to the range that you are a member of. And remember, depending on where you live in the country, especially in big cities, range memberships can be up to about 400 bucks a year in some places. Um, that's the only place that you're legally allowed to take out that handgun and to load it. Um, so there's a lot of restrictions in place already on people who are handgun owners. And most of the people that I've spoken to um, are people that are involved in sporting leagues. They're involved in in communities. Um, and these communities are going to be Uh, pretty badly affected by this legislation.
0: So so Noah, what would good gun policy in this country actually look like then?
1: Yeah, so good gun policy in this country um, would be tackling the root causes of violent crime. And the benefit of this is that it's not only good uh, gun policy, it's good policy in general. What we see the rise in handgun crime that the government is talking about is largely driven by criminal gangs, in big cities, So we have to address the sort of push and pull factors that are um, making young people, especially young men, choose to get involved in criminal gangs. So during COVID-19, for example, we saw the decimation of after school programs. This was, of course, necessary uh, to stop the spread of the virus. But it meant that, you know, If you are a wealthy teenager, uh, you're living in the suburbs, it means your parents are probably working from home. They're there to supervise you. You've got video games. You've got stuff to do. Uh, If you're living in an apartment with several other brothers and sisters, there's not a lot to do around the house. Uh, Your parents are off because they're actually working on the front lines um, uh, in in fighting the pandemic. You have a lot of time to occupy yourself. You also probably don't have a lot of money. Um, And if someone in your neighborhood comes along and says, hey, do you want to do a run for me? Uh, Just take this package over here. We'll make some money. It sounds like a good deal. And then the story starts there. Um, so investing in programs that are going to divert young people, first thing, give them opportunities for recreation, give them opportunities for positive social experiences, but also divert people that have gotten into that lifestyle by providing them opportunities to leave the gang lifestyle and to reintegrate into society and into the economy in a positive way. And we've got a lot of programs. We've got a, a, like civil society groups in Canada that are working really hard to do that right now in big cities, and they're not getting money from the government. The very last thing that the government announced in their press conference was funding for community groups, 250 million. Sounds like a lot in actual terms. Once that money gets distributed, it's not going to be very much compared to billions used to buy back firearms that are in all likelihood not going to end up being used in crimes. So that's, I think that's what good firearms policy looks like in Canada.
0: Noah Schwartz, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.